Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Got your Bibles there? Open them up to Mark chapter 2. That's the passage we're looking at this morning. And after this morning's offerings tour, I've got to lift my game. Seriously, I was just cruising because it's only useless people like Jake in preaching most of the time. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. I praise him up all the time, come on. No, she was great, wasn't she? So good. No, I'm, I'm serious, I've got to lift my game. going to have to start working, my goodness. Okay, well, welcome everyone. Mark chapter 2, verse 2 to 12. Can we get the slide up there, please? Zach, are we up there? This morning, I want to talk about when one door closes, we rip off the roof, okay? So, if you've been around church for a while or you've read your Bible, you've probably heard this story before, but I want to actually read it this morning so we can kind of immerse ourselves in it a little bit before I, before I talk about it. So, Mark 2, uh, verse 2 to 12, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get uh, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof uh, roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took up his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. They say that um, fortune favours the brave in the sense that things seem to happen and come together for people who are prepared to take initiative and, you know, risk it to get the biscuit, so to speak. And cutting a hole in someone's roof so you can get to the person you want to rather than just go through the doors or the windows, that's not just brave, that's actually brash and brazen, isn't it? It's more than just brave. It is brash and it is brazen. Brave, I get. Brave, I have no problem doing. Brash and brazen, however, that's actually a real struggle to me. It it was after I'd been going out with Heather for a while, who's my wife, if you don't know, um, that I I began to notice a major personality flaw in her. (coughs) She's not here today. Why do you think I'm brave enough to say this? Um... But she watches, she listens uh, to the podcast and watches YouTube, so I'm dead in the water. Okay, so dead man walking. Um, and so I noticed this major personality flaw she had. I, she would have absolutely no trouble in saying exactly what she wanted and asking for whatever she wanted. And I used to be like, who does that? 
What sort of sociopath is this? Doesn't she know how confronting that is for people? Doesn't she know that they could say no? And she would often remind me, Adrian, the worst thing that can happen here is that they could say no. And I'm like, yes, exactly. (laughs) They could say no. Why would you risk putting yourself through something like that? And it wasn't an issue between us, but it really grated on me, I think because, now I'm older and and wiser, I have this realisation, that for me, the way I was kind of brought up and it was kind of instilled into me was that you don't ask for anything. You just don't ask for anything. You take a healthier approach, which is just to stifle everything and get resentful for not having the things that you want and get really passive-aggressive. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone else afraid to just come out and say what you want? Yes, we'll have a meeting after the service, okay? Maybe we're scared we're going to hear a no. Maybe we're afraid of being disappointed. Maybe we're afraid of looking foolish. Maybe we're afraid that we don't have the right to ask for that thing or that's not the right thing to ask for. I don't know. Yes, no, maybe. It could be all of those things but what I do know is this is while we are sitting there and getting bitter and twisted and resentful or cloaking our inability uh, to just simply ask for what we need under the guise of humility or whatever it is other people are getting the keys to dad's car just because they asked that's the way it's working and it's not a great way to live and it's an even less helpful way um, less helpful when we carry that dynamic over into our relationship with God Because as I read the scriptures, I see, particularly in the New Testament um, and in the stories and the parables of Jesus, that so much of how it works is it seems to depend on how much we're prepared to be willing to go after and to ask for. And I've noticed that there's this weird correlation. The people who seem to ask for stuff seem to have a whole lot more than the people who don't. I don't have the data for it. It's anecdotal, but it seems to me that the people who seem to go out and just ask for what they want, seem to get a whole lot more than people who don't. I have a friend who is also a pastor. We were at college together and he's he's accomplished a lot. He's done very, very, very well for himself. And over time, naturally that's caused me more than a little bit of um, professional and personal jealousy. So to deal with that, uh, rather than front up to the fact that I'm jealous... I have been able to uh, cloud the real issue. I've come up with a whole range of reasons as to why it's been easier for him and harder for me. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about there? You know, so, so I will go, oh, yeah, well, you know, um, of course that's working for him. He's in this situation with these people and I'm here and I'm there. You know what I mean? Like all these excuses. So he's got it all going for him. He's got all this money. He's got the best situation. I'm up to this and I've, I've got that. But now I'm actually mature and healed. I can see that what the difference between us actually is. And it's really a very simple one. Because I've known this guy for a very long time. And what I've known about this guy for a very long time is that he's never been shy about saying what he wants and going after what he wants. And he's never... That doesn't mean he's always got it. It doesn't mean he's always got exactly what he wants it doesn't mean he's got it in the time that he wants but I tell you what he's got a whole lot more done than I ever did because he was never afraid to simply say what he wanted and to go after it and what is brazen and brash to me I think is just called faith to Jesus he's the one that's told us to ask and to seek and to knock for people who don't like to ask 
or to seek or to knock, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? But it gets worse because he put those words in the present continuous tense, which means you're not just to ask, you're to keep on asking. And you're not just to knock, you're to keep on knocking. And you're not just to seek, you're to keep on seeking. He's the one that even tells stories about people who, when they get a no, refuse to give up and keep going until they get a yes. But as we know, not everybody always gets what they want, no matter how much they believe and no matter how much they keep on asking for it, because sometimes the answer is just no, period. And I wish that the Bible would be a lot clearer on how this faith and this prayer stuff works. I wish it would synchronise everything and synthesise everything in just a straightforward, like, this is how it happens. But it doesn't. The Bible seems to say a whole range of things that we need to hold in tension with one another. And, and we don't struggle, we don't actually do well with tension, we struggle with tension. The, the ability to be able to hold seemingly conflicting truths together at one and the same time. But the Bible actually has multiple different things to say about faith and how it works and how we are to ask. Because sometimes we're supposed to ask and that's the end of it. Other times we're supposed to ask and that's not the end of it. Sometimes we ask and the answer is no. Sometimes we ask and the answer is no, but we're to keep on asking until the answer becomes yes. And perhaps it's because prayer and faith are actually based on a personal interaction with another person, i.e. God, rather than just this kind of rule-based approach. And just as in any other personal interaction, things can change. There are other contingencies, there are other circumstances and factors to be taken into account. In much the same way that at me as a father, when my kids ask me a question one day, the answer may be no, but circumstances or things may be different the next day. If they ask me that same question, it could be yes. Or they could just keep asking and asking and asking till I relent and give them what they want. Okay, And that's not always a bad thing, is it? You know, we often think that's just people wearing us down, but sometimes it, it takes a, a while for the penny to drop, for me personally, for them to go, but da, 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 da. And then I think about it, I think, what's my reticence to wanting to do Actually, what they're saying, there's nothing wrong with that. They can do that. And, and what blows my mind is that, that in the teachings of Jesus, we're told to actually do this to God. And there is precedent for that in the Old Testament. If you remember the stories of Moses and Abraham, where God would say he was going to do a thing and Moses or Abraham would push back and go, I don't think that's a great idea. I think you need to give us another chance. How about this? And God would say, okay, that. Right, well, that didn't work. What about this? No, that doesn't work. What about this instead? People, you know, and God changed his mind sometimes. So I wish it was straightforward, but it's not. But we have to hold that tension. But beyond just holding that tension, we have to live in that tension too. We have to be people who are able to believe for big things, exceptional things, and at one and the same time, understand that it doesn't always happen. And so to sit with the pain and the disappointment when it doesn't. But even worse, we have to be able to do that together, which is sometimes a difficult tension to maintain. The Bible tells us we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn or be disappointed with those who are disappointed. And that can happen, be happening simultaneously in a group this size. Today, I can tell you right now, there are people who are rejoicing because they got what they asked for or even beyond what they imagined. And there are other people who have not received that thing they so desperately crave. You know what I'm talking about? 
These things are present not just within us as people, this tension we hold, but within us as a body as well. And those things, as I say, they're going on at the same time and that's a really hard tension to navigate sometimes. And I know as a pastor, sometimes I get a bit of whiplash because one minute I'll be talking to people about how wonderful things are going and how God is blessing them, you know, hashtag blessed. All this stuff is just happening for them, left, right and centre. And then in the next conversation, I'll be sitting with someone who's crying their eyes out because this thing that they have been praying for has not happened and it doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. And we need to be able to have the capacity to celebrate with people without being insensitive to those who are grieving and disappointed. But also to sit with those who are disappointed and grieving without wanting to delegitimatize. Is that a word? You know the word I mean, right? Speaking in tongues, I need a translation. Legitimize, delegitimize. That's the word I'm looking for, okay? Thank you for praying for me. Uh, um, without doing that to people who are celebrating. You understand what I'm saying? That's the tension of it internally for us sometimes. Because I can look back at my, as I say, you know, I can look back at my own life story sometimes and go, God did this and this and he did immeasurably more than all could I imagine. Other times they've just been closed doors and that's never changed. But then we do it together as well. And we have to be sensitive and kind. I want to be able to celebrate even if I'm disappointed. You know, I, I do. I want to be able to really be pleased for you if that is coming through. But by the same token, it's great if people who are celebrating can be sensitive to people who haven't seen those things happen. I don't know how it all works. I just don't. Because sometimes the answer is no and sometimes the answer is no, but just keep pushing it anyway. I don't know it. It's above my pay grade. It's above my brain capacity. I don't understand how it all works. What I do know is that I need to keep it simple and that's this. I don't need to know how it all works. My job is just to keep on asking and not stop. I just got to keep on asking. I just got to keep on going for it. I can't let the fact that sometimes a prayer didn't get answered or something didn't come off from ever stopping me from asking again. Has anyone been in that situation? It's happened to me multiple times. My disappointment with something over here has meant that I've not held out hope or faith or belief for something else going into the future. And I can't do that. Because that no doesn't disqualify this from happening. Okay? And we have to be able to deal with that. So I was reading this story and I was thinking about how different it would have read if I had been one of the guys involved in taking this paralyzed man to see Jesus. And it says, When they saw that there was a large crowd even blocking the door and they couldn't get to Jesus, one of the men, Adrian, turned and said to the others, Well, that's that. It's never going to happen. Anyone else? When, they, when he saw there was a blockage, he gave up immediately. How many of us conclude that, that if the doors are not wide open, ready for us to walk through, then we're not meant to go through them? How many of us conclude that? How many of us interpret a lack of a clear run as God's way of saying, no, this isn't going to happen? And of course, it becomes a self-fulfilling assessment, doesn't it? I want this thing, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, therefore I'm concluding from the, the circumstantially that it looks like it's not going to happen, that it, God doesn't want it to happen, so I give up and I walk away and it doesn't happen and I go, see, it was a no. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Okay, it becomes a self-fulfilling assessment. But people who see things happen, they're just not put off that easily. They're not put off that easily at all. They don't see a no, they see a challenge. 
I, I was reading in the news the other day, I don't know if you've seen this, about this girl that applied for a job at Aldi. Anyone see that? Okay. I'm the only one that reads news. That's okay. And she got one of those computer-generated rejection letters, you know, that obviously run her application through the algorithm, didn't pick up on the keywords, whatever. And it basically said, you know, thanks for applying, but no. Rather than take that, she wrote back to Aldi and said, thank you for your letter, but I reject your rejection. <laughs> this is true. I have everything I need according to your criteria. I'll see you at work on Monday. To their credit, Aldi got back to her and said, well, then come in for an interview. She was told no. She didn't see it as a no. She saw it as a challenge. I'm going to get them to see it my way. And my way of seeing it is that I get this job at the end of things. There's this story that's in Matthew, Mark and Luke. So it's pretty important. All three of them contain this story where Jesus and the disciples are walking along and a Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus. A Syrophoenician was a Canaanite. And you know the relationship that Israel has with Canaan and how they're perceived. And so she comes along to Jesus and she says, Jesus, my daughter is being tormented by a spirit. Please set her free. And, and it says in the narrative, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge her. He just keeps walking. But she won't give up. And the disciples start to try and push her away. Like, go away. This is not going to happen for you. But she keeps asking. Now, can I just say again, this is me. I'd have gone. Right? Anyone else? I would have gone. Well, I tried. He said no. Okay. But she keeps trying. And Jesus turns around to her and says, it's not right for me to take the food from the children's table and throw it to dogs. I don't know about you, but I find that really offensive, yes? That's, he's saying, you're a dog. And I'm not, the stuff I've got, that's not for you. Now, if I hadn't been put off by the initial no, that definitely would have put me off, yes? There's a definite like, all right, this isn't happening today. And I'm, and I'm hurt and angry at what you just called me, okay? But she says, yeah, but you know what? Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Jesus says, that's on point. You get your miracle. That's faith right there. Just the brashness and the brazenness and the audacity to go, yeah, I get it. It's not for me, but you know what? There's always some leftovers and I'm going to have some of that. And Jesus responds to that. People who see things happen are not easily put off. There's another parable he tells about a persistent wooden woman a persistent wooden, um, but a persistent woman. And, and the, it, it literally means a shameless woman. In that this woman does not care about what anyone thinks about her or what she's doing. She wants something and she is not going to relent until she gets it. And it's in the context of these stories that Jesus keeps saying to people, when I return to the earth, am I going to find the sort of faith that is still going, that isn't just prepared to give up when the going gets tough. In fact, when you read that story about that woman, it's quite, we've got a kind of polite translation. There's even a point there where she basically threatens to punch the judge in the face. She threatens violence because she's that determined to get what she wants. See, these are the things that when Jesus teaches this sort of stuff, I go, 
This is conflicting with what I've always thought was a nice kind of Christian approach to, to prayer and to faith. But Jesus says sometimes there's this kind of, there's this little bit of violence about it in the best sense of people who are absolutely determined to get what they came for and to see things move forward. Sometimes the best, the, the only sign a blocked door is, is that you need to try and find another way in. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is that we get a no because it forces us to find another way. They say that necessity is the mother of invention. I would say that impossibility is the mother of creativity because you have to find another way, don't you? If the door is blocked, if the windows are blocked, you have to find another way in. Why not just go through the roof? And they often say that when God closes a door, he opens a window, but what if the windows are blocked as well? If the windows are blocked as well, then you've got to rip off the roof. The problem with that is no one's ever done that before. There's no precedent for that. No one saw that coming. But impossibility is the mother of creativity. See, faith isn't passive. It's 100% proactive and participative. Sometimes you have to initiate your own miracles. It was like what, what Hannah was even saying here today about the feeding of the 5,000. There's no way on earth that kid could have thought that his five loaves and his two fish were, was ever going to achieve that goal. But, you know, we can sit around and go, where's it going to come from? Or we can give God something to work with. That's the difference. And it's like, if this is all I got then I'm going to give you that and I'm going to see what you can do with that. So sometimes we talk, our faith is just, it's, we sit back too much. We sit back and we expect that if we just believe and we just pray, then God's going to open all the doors. No, 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 no. We have to be, we have to initiate things. We have to participate. We have to give God something to work with. Sometimes you have to point your staff at the Red Sea to see the waters part rather than just stand there and hope that they will. Yeah? Sometimes you have to step into the Jordan River when it's flood season to see the waters back up so people can cross over it rather than, again, hope that someone would develop a ferry service in the future to get everyone across. Sometimes you've got to give the last of your flour and oil to the man of God rather than hoping that manna is going to fall from heaven. Sometimes we just have to use whatever we've got, whatever is in our hands, to find some sort of creative way of doing it to say, God, we've breached the roof, it's up to you to do the rest. That's what we have to do. A no is the best thing that can happen to us sometimes because it forces us to be creative, to look at what we've got and then to look at what God can do with what we've got. When we were in our last church, we met in a school gymnasium and it had quite a high stage. So here was the floor and here, here was about where the stage actually was. And after the gatherings, um, one of my daughters who just walked out of the room, probably because she knew this story was going to happen, I'd be standing there talking and then she would, I would hear, Daddy, catch me, as she would run and just launch herself into the... Like literally. She, it would, and I would have to like... In, in those days I could move. It wasn't like hang on, I, I would bolt over and I would grab her until the day she did it when I was standing at the back of the hall. That explains a lot. <laughs> but I think, I think sometimes that is what faith actually is. It's, I'm going to run and I'm going to jump and as I jump, I say, Daddy, catch me. Yeah? Not, I, I don't just stand on the edge of the stage going... Well, can you, can you arrange for stuff to be put here so I don't hurt myself when I fall? We run and we jump and we go, hey, God, 
You're going to have to, you're going to have to catch me here. You're going to have to pick this thing up, otherwise I'm going to go smashing into the ground. Everything we want to do, everything we want to do as a church, we don't have the money to do. Our vision far exceeds our finances. And that's not a problem for me. Because I think it is forcing us to be creative. We could look at the finances and go, well, there's the answer. God doesn't want us to do this. God doesn't want us to do that. Or, you know, if God wants us to do this, he would actually provide us with the means. What I'm saying is the door is blocked, the window is blocked, so guess what? We're just going to have to find the roof to dig through. We're just going to have to find a creative way of doing all the things that God has put on our heart. It's not the answer, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to see how creative, how resourceful, how persistent we can actually be, how brash and brazen we're prepared to be. Because you know what? These are not just good ideas that we thought up because we had nothing better to do. This is God-birthed vision about extending the kingdom and making a difference in our world. So it's not just like, hey, I had this really cool idea, so let's make it happen. No, 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 no. This is stuff that God has breathed into us as a church and he's put his calling on us and he's told us this is what he wants us to do. We've looked at what we've got and able to do it and go, we can't do it. We don't just give up. We go, then thank you, God, because guess what? Now we have to get creative and resourceful in how we're about to do that. It's an invitation to do the church equivalent of ripping off the roof. About three years ago, I went to a very important event with some very important people. It must have been a mistake to send me an invitation. So I was there and I was having this conversation with someone whom I found out later was actually very important and I guess I should have known that. But, you know, church, churches can be quite atomized, you know, like you live in your own world and so people know who's who in, in different worlds. I, and I wasn't a part of this world, so I didn't know. Anyway, turns out quite an important person. So we're having this kind of what I thought would just be like, How's your day going? Isn't the weather nice? You know, just a quick five-minute chat before we get into the really meaty stuff. Um, but he goes, so, what's your vision for your church? What are you working on now? And I'm like, can we do a lead-up to this? Like, because that's just too intense for me. I mean, A, I'm an introvert. B, I just came for the food, to be honest. So, um, And so he's like, no, no, tell me what it is. And I said, oh, look, it's not the sort of thing we can get into right now. So do you mind if we just sort of move on? No, 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 tell me. Tell me what's one thing that you see coming and that you're working on. I said, okay, here's what I see happening. I see in the future churches are going to struggle financially, all churches, okay, um, and that they're going to have to subsidise themselves through things other than offerings. It doesn't mean that offerings aren't important, but I think we can use offerings for other things, but we need to find a way of being able to subsidise our, our organisation without having to rely on offerings. And he said, no, nope, that's not going to happen, can't see it, whatever. I'm like, that's fine. I'm not here to convince you, I didn't even want to have the conversation. But I was meeting with another pastor the other day, this is three years later, and we got talking about this financial thing, and he said, you know what? Everyone I talk to in ministry is saying exactly the same thing. Now, why I tell you that is not like, well, how brilliant am I? You know, it, that's got nothing to do with it. I believe God has given us the ability to see what's coming. I really believe that. Remember the men of Issachar in David's Mighty Men? They understood the times and knew what to do. That's a real gift, okay? And I think we have that present here. So we've been talking about this as a leadership for a while, and now I'm hearing this sort of thing from everyone else. Why I'm telling you that is that I'm glad I wasn't put off by that initial conversation. I'm glad I wasn't discouraged by that. I'm glad I, w I didn't go away from that going, well, I just got that wrong and I'm just going to go back to the drawing board and start all over again. 
And the reason I didn't do that was, one, because I actually really believed I was seeing what was coming. Two, I was surrounded by a group of really good leaders in this church, our elders, who agreed and saw the same thing. And so we thought, well, together, that's what we're going to do. So it wasn't just people that were blocking the way to Jesus and the miracle. It was people blocking the way to Jesus and the miracle. The crowd was not supportive of these guys getting their friend before Jesus. They were a hindrance. They weren't making the way easier. They were blocking the way. They weren't supportive of his attempt to get healed. They were becoming an obstruction to it. But he had four friends who were just as determined as him to get what he came for. So there's a crowd that's not cooperating, but you've got four people who are determined. You don't need big numbers and crowd support for your vision. You just need a few fellow believers to get in there and help you. Because you know what? You can do it alone if you need to. But it's always better if we could do it together, yes? It's always better if you've got at least a couple of people who can help carry you when you can't do it for yourself. Okay? That's the importance of being in community. And just like it's a mistake to equate a closed door with a no answer from God, it's also a mistake to equate the rightness of a thing with the support that it receives from everyone else. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? If that were true, so many of the breakthroughs that we have seen in the world at large would never have happened because at the time they were never considered good ideas. Yeah? you imagine floating the idea for a, for a plane? You know, penicillin, I'm going to grow some mould because that's going to help us. Right, okay? Most of the ideas that we take for granted, the breakthroughs we have seen, they were never accepted at the time. In fact, the people that were putting them out there were considered a little bit weird, but it never put them off. Lack of popular support, is not an indication that you've got it wrong. And yet, how many of us assess the validity of a thing based on how many people agree with us that it's a good idea? How many of us do that? Think of Noah. You look pretty stupid building a really big boat when you don't live by the ocean. And it's not raining. And it's not raining for a 100 years. Now, imagine if Noah had been like us and decided to, to base his uh, way forward on an opinion poll. Okay? Hey, guys, God said there's going to be this flood. I've got to build this really big boat. What do you think? I think that's crazy. Yeah, I think you're right. So then God says to Noah, so how's the ark going, Noah? Well, I decided not to do it because everyone thinks it's a dumb idea. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. What about Joseph. He gets to that position of responsibility and authority in Egypt. He knows, God shows him, there's a, there's a massive famine coming. So for seven years, while the sun is shining and the rain is falling and the crops are growing and the circumstances are perfect, he's saying to people, let's store, 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 because this is coming to an end. If you're in the middle of all that wonderful harvest, it'd be hard to see the thing coming to an end, yes? But he does it. And Egypt and others survive because of that. In life, we know that people are spread across a bit of a spectrum in terms of how quickly and how easily they adapt to new ideas. 
Um, there's this thing called the diffusion of innovation, if anyone's heard of it. It's about how new ideas find their way in, uh, new ideas and new inventions find their way into the mainstream. And we humans are all spread across a, across a, a diffuse um, spectrum in terms of how we accept this. And at the, at the front end of all of change is groups called the pioneers or the innovators, right? It's about 2.5% of people. They're your mushroom eaters, right? They're the people who, who go and they try the stuff that no one has tried and they aren't put off by anything. Then you have the early adopters. They're a bit slower off the mark. This is about 13.5% of people. But they observe that the, the, uh, the pioneers and the innovators haven't died from eating the mushrooms and this might be a good thing to get into. And you combine those two and then you get this thing called the tipping point, just over 16% of people. And then once that sort of takes hold, you have this next group called your early majority. That's about 34% of people. They look at it and they go, that actually looks like a really cool thing. That looks like it's working. I'm going to get into that. And then you have your late majority. That's another 34% of people who look at everyone else doing it. Uh, these are the people who are currently going, hey, have you seen these new smartphones? Right? They're your late majority, okay? So, so they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, this is a really good thing. But then, right at the end, at 16%, you have this group called your laggards. Right? These are the people who are still, you know, going down and wondering what happened to Blockbuster and when it's going to open again. <laughs> All right? They're like... I just, I just want to return my VHS, um, right? You laggards, they're right down the end. The point in all of that is that it only ever takes a very, very, very small percentage of people to have an idea and to run with an idea for it to become a thing. And these people don't wait until these people have got it. These people pick up and run with it and eventually it takes hold and other people begin to follow. Are you with me? We don't need crowd support for our ideas. We don't need an opinion poll taken to see if we're onto a good thing. If God speaks a thing into our heart or if we see a thing that we believe we're meant to go for, then me and whoever, one, two other people with me is all we need. We don't need everyone else's imprimatur. It doesn't matter. At some point, that thing that everyone thought was crazy, everyone will go, how wonderful is that? But at some point, whether it's individually or collectively within our church, we're all going to have to be in that little 2%. And for the stuff that's just about you, you are in that 2%. And so you've got to decide now that you don't need everyone to agree with what you're doing. If you believe God has put that in your heart and that's the thing you're going after, you need to go after that and that's it. We don't need the support of the crowd. Don't miss the fact that the crowd wasn't just unsupportive. There were religious leaders within that crowd who were openly hostile and resistant to the ministry of Jesus as well. That house was not an environment of faith. We often talk about creating an environment of faith. Well, you do need faith. You just don't need everyone to have it. It was not an environment of faith. There were people that didn't care and people who were openly hostile and resistant. But there was one guy and four mates who were determined that this thing was going to happen that day. And it actually did. So don't be discouraged if few people seem to share your vision and your passion. That's no indication of anything, let alone the legitimacy of your vision. Jesus changed the world 
with 12 guys. That crowd grew and then it disappeared again. But they still went on and changed the world. He also says, if two of you agree about anything, if two of you agree about anything, not 200, if two of you agree about anything, and we go, but yeah, you know, like there's, everyone else doesn't see it. That's immaterial. The thing that swings it is the few who see it, not the many who don't. That's the point in all of this. Look, we're running out of time and I, I didn't even start my, um, what do you call it? Okay, I'll start it now and then I've got half an hour, okay? <laughs> no, I, it's, look, there's a lot in this that I'm not even going to get into today. So I, I will actually just wrap it up. I don't want to get too convoluted. It goes into some other stuff that I think we can talk about another day. But here's what I want to say to us then. To those who are struggling to hear this sort of thing, because of past disappointment or maybe fear of, of getting it wrong, um, you know, I hear, you know, I've been there myself and I still find myself there at times. It can be absolutely devastating. But don't let discouragement and disappointment continue to discourage and dissuade you from going for big things and, and refusing to give up just because it doesn't work the first way, uh, the first time. I found that disappointment in one area has often led me to doubt about others. So don't throw it all out just because that one thing, even if it's a big thing, don't throw it all out just because that thing didn't happen or hasn't happened yet. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. We have to sort of live in that tension, but the only way we will ever see God do some amazing stuff is if we are prepared to risk it again. To those who can only see the way blocked and think that's the answer, don't let that put you off. Get creative. See it as a challenge rather than a no. See, just push the boundaries. Go around, check the windows, rip the roof off, do whatever you need to do. If it's a no in the end, it's a no in the end, but don't die wondering. Just keep trying. And to those who are feeling alone in it and you're looking for popular support, you're thinking, I've got this thing and I can't, I can't find many people to share it, that's normal. Pray that God will bring one or two people around you that also hear it and see it and will support you in that. But don't be waiting until everyone else is prepared to go, that sounds like a good idea because that is not going to happen. It's only a good idea for most people when it's already been accepted and it's in retrospect. Okay? It's often never a good idea up front. Your job is not to convince people but to just get on with it. Just find one or two people and do that. So church, this is a challenge for us individually and collectively. Whatever it is that we might be up against, that we're not the sort of people who just walk away because it got tough. We just walk away because it doesn't look like it's possible. We don't even go there because we've suffered disappointment in the past. We're the sort of people who know that for the kingdom to advance, both personally and individually within our lives and our families and within our church and this community, requires a sort of brashness and brazenness that Jesus invites us in. He actually invites us in to do this. He tells us to do this stuff. Our job is not to understand it all. It's just to ask and keep on asking. Yeah? And the more we do that, I can tell you, we won't see everything, but we'll see a whole lot more happen than if we never ask. Amen? All right. We're going to go into communion now, guys. I just invite everyone... Again, to come to the sides, at the back, these tables. This table is set for all of us. And just to remind ourselves, you know, that through his death and resurrection, you know, Jesus has accomplished so much. And the Bible actually says that all the promises are yes and amen in him. 
And this is not based on speculation. This is based on the fact that he did die and he was resurrected. We, we serve a God of the impossible, a God who can bring life out of death. So if he can do that, how much more can he do with the stuff that we are asking him to do? Amen. So let's go and take communion now and then we'll get the team back up. Thank you.